Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Renar Voice. This is episode three. I am one of your hosts, Robert Swatala, and I'll be helping navigating this ship today. With me, as always, my co-host, Jeff Mazone. Jeff, welcome. How are hey, you? Hey, good morning, Robert. You know, as we're ticking down these episodes, we're starting to sound like the uh, Star Wars saga here with all these episodes we got going. I was wondering if you might bring like episode three, you know, a soundtrack or something to the podcast. I today. did. I, I did know. load up some possible tunes. I was settling on Super Mario Brothers theme song. That seemed fitting that, for you. It's more me. appropriate. You yeah, know, yeah. especially the level that we're at in comparison to the guests that we have. That seems, you know, pretty Would fitting. you be Luigi and me Mario? Is, would that be the way it You would definitely or? be Mario. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Hey, did you have a good Thanksgiving? Because we're we're right at the end of Thanksgiving, moving into the, to the holiday season. Uh, yeah, bro. We were down in the city uh, with my wife's family. Um, Dominican Republic Thanksgiving is very different than, you know, the usual North American uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, so they cook like a turkey and then a pork shoulder, but they cook it exactly the same way with the same seasonings, and you can't tell which is which. Um, oh, wow. So like the leftovers, I have to ask my wife, which, which are we having here? I can't, I can't really tell, but you know, the, the standard trimmings, um, you know, are replaced with like three different types of rice and I love it. I love it. So nice. Yeah. We had a good time. Yep. How about you? Uh, pretty quiet, pretty quiet. I did not have pork shoulder though. I wish I I would have, that would have been fantastic. Um, I, I love a little smoked pork shoulder, um, but no, it was quiet, quiet. We had the traditional, you know, sides and everything. So it was good. And obviously in the, the world that we live in right now, it, quiet is not a bad thing. So sure. We'll take it. Yeah. Well, so. well, Jeff, we have a great guest today for our audience. Uh, would you do the honors of introducing Dr. Mitchell to us, please? Yeah, we are really excited to have uh, our faculty member in our chapter, Dr. Deidre Mitchell. Um, and, and particularly because we have a lot of school counselors uh, in our chapter, and Dr. Mitchell is a school counselor, so we wanted right from the beginning of reaching out to our members to really be able to feature the school counseling uh, edge uh, component of, of this great profession. Uh, so we're really happy to have her here with us. Uh, Dr. Deidre Mitchell is a licensed professional counselor, nationally certified counselor, and certified school counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. Dr. Mitchell has worked in the counseling field for over 15 years. Much of that time was spent as a secondary school counselor in both rural and urban school settings. Her clinical work also includes private practice, providing individual and group counseling to various age groups. She currently offers anxiety and stress management counseling groups for adolescents, as well as workshops for counselors, educators, and parents. Dr. Mitchell's professional research and counseling interests include best practices for school counselors, including stress and anxiety management of children and adolescents. Dr. Mitchell joined Liberty University as a core faculty member in the spring of 2020. Prior to this, she was a full-time counselor educator for eight years at Messiah University in Central PA. She loved the dynamic and exciting work of school counseling, and this could only be replaced with the joys of mentoring and walking alongside future counselors as they learn about this profession. So Dr. Mitchell, good morning, and thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, welcome, and, and I hope you had a, a lovely Thanksgiving as well, Dr. Mitchell. Yes, 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 I, I did. We, my family, we, we do a rustic um, Thanksgiving. We have a little cabin we go to with, um, it has it, no running water. It does have some electricity. We take all the food with us. So 
So in these days of social distancing, we really social distance, but it was as special as always. So it was, it was great. That's our tradition and I'm glad we could do it. And it was a nice, nice, peaceful day. That sounds fantastic. Well, thank yeah. you for being here with us. We're, we're really excited to have you. And to just get right into it, uh, first question that I'd like to ask you is what drew you into the professional counseling, specifically as a school counselor? Sure. Yeah. I love this question. Um, this is an area of my life I know for sure. If, if you know me, my husband would tell you, I tend to overthink everything, right? That's just who I am. I just, I analyze and I overthink everything. And, and this is an area I've always felt very, just very focused and driven towards this is just what I was supposed to do. Um, now I say always. So when I go back to maybe my high school years, I just remember knowing as I got into the my junior senior year and I had to, you know, make those choices of majors and where I want to go to school. And I just I remember feeling like I love this environment that I'm in right now and I want to continue with this. But I, I don't see myself teaching anything. There's nothing that I'm very passionate about except for you know, people's emotions and feelings. And this was before I really had the language and the words of, of what that was, but I knew that that's what I was drawn to and wanting to help. Um, but I loved being in a school and, and being in a community and um, the energy of it, uh, the big family feeling. And so I would look at my school counselor and I would see what he did. And I just, would, I, was, I was drawn to that. I thought, wow, that is a position that you can really just have such far reaching um, do such far-reaching work. And um, so so that stuck with me. That was with me. I came from a, a very rural, small high school. And in the span of two years, we had a lot of tragedy in our school. We had, we had three suicides, um, three separate occasions, very different students spread out. And it just felt like you know, we would recover from one and then something else would happen. And so the impact that I saw that that had on our school and on individuals and just even those individuals who I wasn't necessarily, I didn't know them personally, but just, wow, realizing the hurt that they had and, and seeing that this time in life, this child adolescent time is such a such an important time. There's so much we can do during this time. And so I was really drawn to, I really want to help this age group. And so, so I went in, um, I, I applied to school. I, I applied to one school. I got accepted. I was going to major in psychology or social work. I, I knew I was going to do that. And I was going to work with kids and I was going to work in a school. And 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 again, I'll, I'll laugh at myself for saying I always knew this because I did. I had one blip. I definitely had a blip my senior year. And I'm going to talk about this because this is where I saw my school counselor advocate for me, which is what we're talking about today. And this was this was very influential to me. So I would say probably around Christmas time, my senior year, I had this moment of panic where I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to go to school for four more years or, and then get my master's and go for two more years. And, you know, I, I, and here I am, I went to school for like 10 more years, but at that time that seemed so overwhelming. And I thought, oh, I just want something simple. And do I really want to get into this messy work where I'm sure it's exhausting? And um, so, so I went to my school counselor and I said, you know, I think I just want to be a dental hygienist. It just sounds like a good job. So easy. So he's like, okay. And he walked me through and my parents, you know, they were, my was a first generation college student. So my parents were navigating this time with me the best they could, but I was glad to have a school counselor who could walk me through these details. So I applied, I got in, I canceled my registration to the state university and I was on a path. I was going to be a dental hygienist. I was going to go to school for two years and be done and have a simple life. 
And then it was May, I would say it was like mid-May and this had been eating at me and I thought, oh, that's just not, that's not me. Like I really, I want to help. I, that's in a different way. I want to, I want to work on the trenches. I want to help people have a, like a good wholesome life, a, a well, well life, well-rounded. I want to get into the emotions with people. I want to help hurting people. And so I went to my school counselor again. And at this time, my parents were just kind of ready to wash their hands of me. And I went to my school counselor. I was like, I messed up. What did I do? Like, can I, can you, can you help me fix this? I need to get back. I need to change this plan. And he said, let me make some calls, go back to class. Let me make some calls. Let me see what I can do for you. And that afternoon, I, I will never forget it. I was outside in phys ed class. Now keep in mind, this was like 20 some years ago. I was outside in phys ed class and I look over and I see my school counselor coming out, walking across the field and he came up to me, we're playing softball or something. And he said, well, Deidre, I made some calls. They're gonna take you back and you, you're in the program you wanted and they even still have your you know, your scholarship package and everything and it all worked out. And I, I think I might've hugged him. I was so excited and it meant so much to me that he made those calls. And I thought, oh, I wanna do this. This is what I wanna do. I wanna help people. I wanna take those extra steps and help people. So anyway, that's a long story, but yeah, so I, I got on the right path again and there was no turning back. Um, Decided after I, so I ended up majoring in psychology. I loved my counseling electives. It felt like home to me. I loved the, the more I learned about counseling, the more I realized, yes, this is the profession for me. I love the tools that counselors have that we can give to our clients, that we can share with our clients. And um, got my master's in Loyola University in Maryland and um, became a certified counselor. Did that uh, for many years. And yeah, that was that was it. Yeah, Dr. Mitchell, that that that's great. Did did the did the focus on kids really help shape that um, that path, that trajectory? It sounded like there was some interest early on of of teaching or or some working with children. Did, was that really a, a help shape that passion, or was it was it strictly the counseling piece of it? I would. It's hard for me. I would say for sure, what came first was the desire to help children because I saw that as such an important time. I was blessed in my own childhood to have adults around me who really cared and, and gave 100% to me, even when they had their own struggles going on. And so just going through things that I did with my family, but still having them support and uplift me, and then seeing others go through similar things who didn't have that support. And I thought, I want them to have, I want to be able to be for them what they don't have. And then as I learned about the profession of counseling, from, I realized that for me, that was where I was supposed to put that in, that time and that work. And so it all came together. Yeah, Dr. Mitchell, it sounds like you had just early on through the stages of, of getting to where you are now that you had the presence of, of affirming figures who could kind of lead you along that path. But I was also moved just in hearing your story about your experiences in high school with, with suicide, that even that may, have planted early seeds uh, to get into into this profession. Uh, just the, the power of those early experiences is really remarkable. Um, and and you know another thing too, just in hearing your story, you know we had Dr. Camden on as our first guest, and he was also exploring the the dental track too. So it's like no, two right. out of three of our guests here are looking at that. Just really I, funny. That's the same thing, Jeff. I thought I well, there could have been that. a dental practice going here. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I missed that. That's great. That's funny. 
Anyway, I mentioned before um, when we introduced you, Dr. Mitchell, that we do have a lot of school counselors in our chapter. And uh, we had recently sent around a survey to our members where we asked them what topics specific to school counseling they would like to see our chapter discuss. Um, and there were some very prominent uh, responses on that survey. And one of the questions uh, that we'd like to ask you based on those results um, is what can you tell us about advocating for social issues, uh, not only for individual students, but also in school or campus wide programming? Yeah, yeah, I love this. I love that this came up as a desire. It just tells me a lot about the heart of the members that we have here. And it is such a big part of what we do as school counselors. And I think it probably makes sense to start with looking at what we can do in terms of advocating for the system within WeWork, so the bigger picture, so the program. Um, and I will speak mostly from a school counseling perspective, but I, I absolutely feel that this can be, um, you know, related to any counselor working in the field. Um, it's, there's a lot of complexity, complexity to this. There's many layers. Um, I would say that there are a lot of tools that can help us and guide us through. So for school counselors, and for those of you in the school counseling track um, program, you know that, um, we are tasked with creating this comprehensive school counseling program. So oftentimes, you know, we work with caseloads of several hundred students. I think I was blessed to work with about 450 students was probably my average in my time as a school counselor. And that can be low compared to the stories I hear about other school counselors. But when we have this program created, we can really work efficiently and effectively. And so, well, you hit the ground running and you're definitely advocating for the individual. You're also, I'm going to just start with explaining about the bigger picture because I just think for in terms of explanation, that's what makes sense. So the first thing is going to be just determining what are the needs of this system? What are the needs of this school? What is, where are the gaps in this community that's really causing a struggle for students, um, even for the educators and the families within this system? Um, it is a blessing as a school counselor. One of the benefits is you're a constant in that building and you have those far, you know, you can really reach far and you can see a lot because of being that constant figure. And because you're kind of a rock there, you also are in a position that you can, you can do a lot. Um, and so just being intentional with that work is really important. But definitely first thing is you got to take a step back and you got to learn what is the need here. It's important to not go in with your own predetermined idea of what that need might be, um, because if that happens, then you can really miss out on what the genuine need is of the school. And so I think two ways that come to mind that I encourage school counselors, ways to determine the need. One, get to know the culture because you, you need to know what do they want? What do they value? What do they desire? Um, if you see a need there, but they don't see it as a need, then it's it's not truly a need. You know, does that make sense? So, so get to know the culture, and you know there are ways you can do this, um, but it takes time. And and some tips that I would give on that is to just listen, um, spend time listening, ask good questions, and listen some more. Drive around the community where you will be working of the school. If you're not from that community, take some time, drive around. I had a principal who, um, he required us at the beginning of every school year, we took bus trips and we traveled all the bus routes of the school district where I was working. And so all the new faculty members would get to see where their students were coming from. And this was so important just to learn about 
you know, everything from the socioeconomic status of your community to just the differences. You, you learn a lot of just little pieces of things that they value. And so that's, that can be really meaningful. Um, other ways to learn the culture. When I taught multicultural counseling uh, classes and, uh, you know, students have to do an immersion experience. And every semester I would have um, school counseling students say there would be one or two who were from a rural area and um, and they really wanted to work in an urban area, possibly someday or wanted to be open to that, but thought, well, how do I, can I do that? Um, you know, or vice versa. And I said, absolutely. And now is the time to start to learn. And this is a great immersion experience. And again, drive around, walk around the community, go to a Friday night football game, go to a religious service in your community. You know, those, those are the hearts of your community and where you're going to learn about the system where you're working. So, so there's that. But you also, in addition to learning the culture, you have to then start to collect some hard data. And it's there. And the nice thing, too, about working in a school is we are required to make extensive reports every year. So you can find this information. It's already being collected and reported. You can find school report cards. You can learn about um, you can learn in this. You can learn about the needs. Where are the achievement gaps? What's the attendance rate? What's the dropout rate? Um, and it's broken down by grade level. It's broken down by uh, student population and so by different ethnicities. And you can see trends. So look for trends and look for needs. Is there a group that's not college and career ready? Is there a group that's this, wow, when, when there's a bubble, when kids hit ninth grade, we have a high dropout rate. What's happening here? Okay, so you're, you're finding those needs. And so that's the first thing. Um, once you know that, you can really start to build your school counseling program. And I would say um, this is where you get, to, this is sort of the meat. This is where you get to use your skills, everything you've been learning in your master's program, all these individual counseling skills, your group counseling skills, your classroom guidance skills. And I would say rely on the resources around you. The ASCA national model has been very helpful for me. I've worked in an urban school. I've worked in a rural school. I, I entered into a school counseling position where there was no counseling program set up. I entered into some that there were some great things happening and working well, but you know, some things that could be better. And, and always, I just started with the model, the Ask a National model. This is my guide. I got out my manual. What do I do first? You know, we start with, we look at the needs, but then we build our program. Um, what services do I have that can meet this need? And you just start to set that up. Um, but you don't have to do it on your own. And that's part of the model as well. And so pieces of this are who can you consult with? Your school counselors will be consultants, but we also need to consult with others. And so when you identify a need, look at schools around you. Who has maybe a similar population, but they're doing something really well here. What they're doing is working and talk with them. What have they found that works? So you don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? We have so many hats to wear. We have to work smarter, not harder. So, so there's that. So making sure you consult and also you're collaborating. Who can you partner with? You don't have to do everything on your own. Even if you're a one-man school counseling program, I think it's important to know who's around you um, that can help you with this. I think some of my best advocacy efforts have been when I partnered with other professionals who could help me in my efforts. 
Um, for example, bringing in law enforcement to help me. I had, we needed as a school one time, we had a large uh, number of instances with um, adolescents struggling with some different drug and alcohol issues. And we needed some faculty training. We needed to have some awareness. We needed to learn how to see signs. We needed to learn some street language of, of that our our kids knew in the schools, but we didn't. And so I had some law enforcement come in and give us an after school training to our faculty. And, and that was one of the best eye-opening experiences we had and just arming us with knowledge. To me, that was a big advocacy effort. Um, if you need to build empathy in your school, bring in a drug and alcohol counselor. If you need to learn more about mandated reporting, bring in social services. So who who can you work with? There's there's a lot of people in your community and that's an important part of advocacy work is knowing those resources. Um, and then, you know, too, so I talked about consulting and collaborating. Um, you also can delegate. And so I think that's just important to, um, you know, it's, it's not about passing the work on. And um, so who, who can help you do your job? You have to be a leader. I think when I, one of the things that surprised me in my school counseling training when I was getting my master's degree was I didn't realize that leadership was a, an, a part of school counseling. And so when we had whole textbook sections and classes about learning how to be a leader, being an effective leader, I thought, oh, this is not what I pictured. I didn't know I was going to be be in this position of leadership. I just didn't quite see that. And then it made so much sense to me as I got into the job because to be a good advocate, you have to be a leader and you have to, again, partner, connect with people. Who can you get to help you? Um, I think a lot of counselors are yes people. We try to do it all. We want to help everyone and save everyone. And so I think I can safely say here that it's okay to say, I can't do this. I need some help. Um, I, you know, sometimes someone said to me once, if you, if you try to do it all, you could be taking a blessing from somebody else. And I thought, you know what? I like looking at it like that. Let's, let's do this as a team and let's share the blessing of helping others. Even if it's as simple as, going to your last period study hall and finding students who have nothing to do that can come do your bulletin board in the hallway, right? You might have future school counselors in there that you're just, you're really planting a seed and, and can feel good about that work. So who can help you do your job? So, so that's important as well. So in a nutshell, you got to just, you got to know this is the bigger, for that bigger program, know the needs, design your program around those needs, and then at the individual level, it's really a lot of the same, but it's being able to step away from all those demands and looking at the person in front of you and being able to just focus on them and give them the energy and time that you need to give. So again, what, what is it that they need? Why do they need this? What's blocking um, the growth here or preventing them from having what they need and what can I do to help? within the school counseling scope, what can I do to help? And I always say, um, I, I try to think, I truly try to always think, if this was me, what would I want to be done? If this was my child, what would I want someone to do to help them? And then I do that if it's within the scope of school counseling. So going back to my school counselor that helped me get back into my program my senior year of high school, you know, that was maybe not a big deal to him. That meant a lot to me, but I make those extra phone calls. You know, what, what can you do and do it? Make those extra calls, extend that extra grace, problem solve with them, brainstorm with them. Um, advocating is being, being for someone what they can't be for themselves in that moment. So 
So brainstorming with them, problem solving, maybe it's a skill deficiency, teaching them that skill. Maybe it's going up to higher admin and advocating, hey, we need to open up another section of this class. Something's not working here. These kids need to get into this class. They need this for college. Um, maybe it's calling their parents and saying, hey, this is something we're noticing. Did you know that we can do this to help? Or, you know, connecting them with somebody who can. Um, so, so, yeah, just, just doing those extra things that you can do. And, and again, just, you know, being what they can't be for themselves in that moment. Yeah, that, that's that's great, Dr. Mitchell. And I think one of the takeaways from from that piece of it was there's so many different stakeholders uh, in what you do, uh, and I think that's one thing that's so unique with school counseling is is there's a lot of different pieces that go into uh, a school counseling program. And, and and just real quick, we're almost out of time. I, I just wanted to ask you to comment. From your experience, I think probably one of the unique things is is the fact that you have to deal with parents and yeah. uh, probably very difficult situations, but also times rewarding situations. So can you just speak quickly on, um, from your experience, how you found it helpful in educating parents, whether it's treatment or diagnosis, especially for our students that are going to be school counselors, what are some things that you can do to, to to just give them some some input on how to communicate with those parents. Yeah, that's a great question, and I'll I'll try to keep this brief because I know we're running out of time. Um, so, well, one thing, let me encourage any of our school counselors listening that it is so helpful if you can have a class in um, a diagnostic class. So school counselors, we will not make diagnoses, but we certainly need to be well versed in them so that we can help to recognize that it's happening and help parents through this process, too, of recognizing or understanding what could be, you know, what their child could be going through. For school counselors, again, you have the ability to be in that school to see their, to see children in wake, you know, hours that they're awake, maybe more than the parent themselves gets to see them. And you get to see them in a social setting. You get to see them in a stressful setting where there are demands on them. And you get to see them every day over a long period of time. So you can see patterns and you can see patterns across the board. So you can know what's developmentally appropriate. You can know what's, hey, this is just a situational thing. Um, you, you can have some perspective. And so you can give that perspective to parents. I mean, I know personally as a parent, um, when it comes to my own children, if they're going through something, I tend to have some tunnel vision. And so parents will have that and school counselors can take that bigger, bigger look and share that perspective. You know, I really think this is a transitional thing. This is situational. Let's not ignore the obvious. Remember, you just moved. You just had a new baby. You know, even good, good stress is stress. So, so just providing that perspective, um, can be very helpful and in coaching parents through that. And let me just quickly say, if you're not a parent yourself as a school counselor or any counselor, I don't want you to shy away from offering that mental health help because and that's and I say that because that's something that I did when I first started as a school counselor I thought oh my word these parents are coming to me and asking me questions and I don't have my own kids I can't believe they're trusting me but they do and just remember you're a mental health expert you're the mental health expert in the building and they want that wisdom they you know they they appreciate that so so I want you to own that so I want to encourage you with that um but but yeah so given that perspective and then but yes, if you see, sometimes you are the one making the identification that, hey, this is more than just a developmental 
thing happening here. This is more than a situational thing. This is ongoing. And so being able to connect with parents in a way to give them courage and hope through that. Um, so always being that optimist yourself, but connecting them with resources, um, referral sources. So know what's in your community, know what's available to the parents. Um, helping them again, don't ignore the obvious. I've, I've worked with parents so many times where maybe there was a traumatic experience that happened years ago and they're not connecting that that could be what now is surfacing for this teenager. And so just that's knowledge you have that you can impart on parents. Hey, we need to connect the dots. This actually makes sense that this is something that's um, manifesting for them now. And then also a big thing um, that I've come across in my work is just seeing how different children will ex will present symptoms of a disorder compared to adults. And we expect them to present the same as an adult. So we really miss the boat. And when you miss the diagnosis, you miss the treatment. And so it's really critical that we get it right as soon as we can. And so oftentimes, you know, a child with anxiety, uh, parents will expect them to be cryish, withdrawn, clingy, and they're not. So they don't think it's anxiety. They don't think it's trauma. Their child's acting out. So they will buy into an e, uh, an ODD diagnosis or they can't focus. So we, we're going to attribute that to an ADHD diagnosis. But so often when a child is struggling with, um, with trauma, with anxiety, with depression, even it can come out as anger or frustration. It can come out as that inability to focus. So just that's another way we need to educate parents and teachers, other stakeholders we work with about being open-minded to this is different and, and we need to be aware of that. So if you can impart that knowledge, I think you're you're gonna help make a world of difference. You know, Robert, these episodes aren't long enough because this stuff is fascinating. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I know I could no. talk all day. It's my Gosh, fault. Dr. Probably. Mitchell, it's so good. You know, and earlier just from your sharing, you know, we have this thread that's emerging from our previous episode with Dr. King that I think as students, we could be so focused on the techniques and the skills and, and what do you have to do and how do you do it right to be effective? And what I hear you saying the same as, as he was saying last episode is so much of this is not about what we do, but who we are and, and how we're present to the clients or the students or the parents and just being that affirming, uh, kind of loving, constant, consistent presence. Uh, in the lives of clients or students who, who may lack that, uh, especially at really important fundamental stages of their development. So that's a huge takeaway uh, for me, just from, from hearing you share uh, that just so much of this is, you know, we say in our tradition that doing, doing little things with great love, uh, yeah. just being present to the person uh, and, and quieting ourselves and slowing ourselves down just to, to be at rest uh, with, with the person in front of us. So thank thank you for sharing that. I mean, my heart is full uh, from that, but it, just your your experience and, and what you've seen works and how it works. It's really helpful uh, for Robert and I, and certainly for our listeners. So we're so grateful for you taking the time out this morning uh, just to be with us and, and to share your, your very clear expertise uh, in this matter. So thank you so uh -huh. much. Well, thank you. I really appreciate being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Mitchell. That was great. Um, I, I learned a, a lot, and, and uh, Jeff, I think you summed it up perfectly. So I'm not going to add anything because I don't think I can add anything more to that. So good job to you. And again, Dr. Mitchell, on behalf of, of, of both of us, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to just share some, some great wisdom and knowledge to our group. So thank you, everybody. I want to thank everybody for listening today. 
Um, I hope you found this podcast helpful and insightful. Uh, Jeff, do you want to give a little teaser for our next guest to our audience just to keep them on the hook for next time? Oh, yeah, we're, we're really pumped about uh, our next episode. For all of those students out there who are interested in private practice, tune in December 21st. We're bringing in the, the rock star professor of private practice here. Uh, so we're really excited uh, to have him aboard. Uh, I struggle with pronouncing his name, so Robert, maybe you can help me yep. with that. Dr. Dr. Takis. And we'll yeah. have to ask him to spell it because he spells it not, not anything like it's pronounced. So uh, we'll have to give him a hard time about that one. So, well, again, Dr. Mitchell, thank you so much. Again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Feel free to check us out on any of the podcast platforms out there. Use your favorite one, iTunes, Google, Podbeam, whatever, whatever you want to use. Just check us out, follow us, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, and uh, have a wonderful day.